0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Escape Maker, hosting the Women in Food and Farming Festival on May 8th and 9th. Learn more at womennourish.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're celebrating the food culture of South Carolina with its chef ambassadors.
2: Oh, I'm super excited that it's soft show crab season. <laughs> Those little suckers are
3: delicious. People think, oh, a tomato is a tomato. No, there is a, a good tomato and a bad tomato. So when they come to, to Hampton or even, you know, even in South Carolina, you can really find a uh, incredible ingredient we started getting lettuce from micro leon farms
2: in conway he's it's a, a super sweet family that runs that little farm
1: tune in to meet in three available wherever you get your podcasts
4: Welcome to HRN Happy Hour. It's five o'clock somewhere, and somewhere is Asheville, North Carolina for me. And what about you, Hannah? I am in
3: New Paltz, New York, and it is Happy Hour.
4: That is Hannah Forden, my co-host and HRN's program manager. I am Kat Johnson, HRN's communications director. We are your hosts today on HRN Happy Hour, and we're excited that you've joined us. Um, We have some really fun events coming up that we're going to tell you about in just a moment. But I also want to introduce our guests of honor today on today's show. Um, We have a returning guest on HR and Happy Hour, the one and only Bob Lewis. Um, Real quick, let me tell you about Bob. He has dedicated his entire career to ensuring that millions of New Yorkers have access to healthy, fresh, and affordable food. He co-founded New York City's Green Market Farmer's Market Program in 1976, and since 2015, he's been advising the nonprofit Fulton Market Association, and they've been developing a farmer and producer-focused indoor and outdoor public market called none other than the Fulton Stall Market. Welcome, Bob.
5: Hey, great to be here.
4: We're so glad to have you back on. It, you have been on HR and Happy Hour before, back in the before times when we were in the studio, and so we've heard a little bit about your work, but we're excited to hear more today. Our second guest works closely with Bob as the president of the nonprofit Fulton Market Association. Um, And we're going to hear a lot about how um, he and Bob met and started working together. And he is a first time guest on our show. So big welcome to Stephen Dima. Welcome, Stephen.
2: Thank you very much. That's a lovely introduction. i not quite had one like that before. <laughs>
4: <laughs> We're super excited to talk to you both.
2: <laughs> no, no one's been excited to talk to me for for quite a while. Um, <laughs> oh,
4: I I don't
3: believe it. Well, it's it's our pleasure. <laughs>
2: yeah, well, thank you very much. It's it's great to uh, it's great to be here.
4: We're super excited. Um. So real quick, um. Pan and I want to share a couple of event announcements coming up. Our, the first event is one that we are producing, and it's coming up very soon on Cinco de Mayo. Woo-hoo. We are hosting. A virtual cocktail party. And we're teaming up with New York Times spirits writer Robert Simonson for a live experience. He's gonna, he has a new book out called Mezcal and Tequila Cocktails. Um, I have a copy at my apartment. It's beautiful, colorful. And he, we've worked with him to put together a cocktail kit that has three recipes that you'll be able to make yourself. Um, for two people. And while you make them, you'll be able to tune into our event where he's gonna talk to Souther Teague. We're gonna have appearances from other hosts on HRN, from Agave Road Trip, from Cooking in Mexican from A to Z. So you'll get to hear more about this brand new book that just came out while you make cocktails from the book. So it's gonna be a blast. Um, it's a fundraiser for HRN, so you'll you'll get to drink delicious cocktails, support the network, and hear from Robert. Um, so definitely check that out. The tickets are at heritageradionetwork.org slash agave. And then Hannah's going to tell you about how to make this event even more special.
3: Yes. So if you're feeling extra fancy um, and want to get a really um, special experience, we're offering a VIP version of this event that has some really excellent add-ons. So we're calling it And there are only 10 tickets, so it's pretty exclusive. And I believe there are still a few left. Um, So you can check out the Mezcal and Tequila experience for two, plus a VIP half-hour interactive tasting of La Luna's special Blue Weber Agave Spirit Tequilana. um, And you'll get some extra portions included in that special cocktail kit you'll be receiving. Um, This tasting is going to be guided by... Agave spirit expert and host of our podcast, Agave Road Trips, um, Lou Bank and Chava Periban. Um, it's going to be really, really fun. I can say from doing many happy hours with Lou and Chava that it is always a good time and they know a lot about Agave spirits. So you'll get to have that really intimate experience guided tasting in the half hour before the event. And then you'll get everything that comes along with the event as well, including a copy of Robert's book from books or magic and admission to the full virtual event. Plus you'll be entered to into a raffle to win a private tasting with, um, the team from agave road trip. And you can invite up to eight people. So you'll get entered to win that. And since there are only 10 households participating, um, your chances are pretty good. So again, like I said, there's a limited number of these VIP tickets. They're going to be excellent. Um, so be sure to check those out and book them as soon as you can. You can go to heritageradionetwork.org agave, like Kat said, to buy your tickets. We hope to see you there.
4: Get them, get them soon. Um, one other event that I wanted to shout out is coming up um, a few days after our Agave event. And um, it's sort of related to our guests today. Um, Fulton Stall Market is is partners with Escape Maker who are dear friends of HRN. And they have a Women in Food and Farming Festival coming up on May 8th and 9th. That's Saturday and Sunday. And in true sign of the times, this is going to be a hybrid in-person and virtual event. So some things will be in-person up at Stone Ridge Orchard in the Hudson Valley of New York. And then there are also going to be elements of the event that will be accessible virtually. And one event uh, within that I wanted to shout out was that we have an on-demand session featuring three HRN hosts of our agriculture and food policy shows. Generally, Lisa Held and Katie Kiefer. And they've put together a sort of primer on how farmers can tell their stories to um, podcasts, publications, journalists, how to kind of figure out what's, you know, unique and newsworthy about your farm and about your story and how to pitch that. I think that's something that, you know, there's so many great stories out there. We're always on the lookout for them, but sometimes farmers, it's not like the highest priority thing for them. Um, So we want to be able to kind of give them a few tools to, to be able to successfully pitch and and not take up a whole lot of time to do it. So make sure if you're in farming or you work, you know, in food, farmers markets, and in spaces adjacent to those, that you check out um, Escape Makers, Women in Food and Farming Festival, uh, May 8th and 9th, and that you can learn more at womennourish.com. That's womennourish.com. Okay. So many events coming up. It's really exciting. It I it know is spring exciting. is here.
2: Yes. New York's coming back.
4: It coming back. is. Coming back. Yes.
5: Got to say that Stone Ridge Orchard's is prominently represented at the Fulton Stall Market. I mean, all of our apples, the hard ciders, the sweet ciders, the apple chips, um amazing her eggs. And the baked goods made from the eggs on the farm—they are at the Fulton Stall Market. So yes, there is a connection.
2: <laughs> we know we know Elizabeth Ryan for a very long time. As a matter of fact, we're we're um, with Escape Maker. Uh, there's a lot of events uh, going on at the at the farm. It's beautiful there, 115 acre farm, apple orchard. It's it's gorgeous, and uh, we have a number of events going uh, going on throughout the summer. Uh, one one, if I may, I'm kind of excited about. It. It's called Out with the Family. On July seventeenth, and it's partnered with the Hudson Valley LGBTQ Center, and uh, it's going to be a, a, a daytime, day-long family event celebrating family and community. And we have uh, headlining that day, Amethyst Kia, uh, and uh, she will um, close out that day. So I thought I'd be an up up. You were going on about events, you got me excited. So I just uh, <laughs> you are primed me to sort of to do a little promotion, if that's
3: okay.
4: That's fantastic! That's absolutely great. Yeah, Hannah, that's all in your neighborhood, so you'll
3: I have, know, you'll have lots to do. My calendar well, well, is filling up. My goodness, <laughs>
2: which is great. Which is great.
3: Yeah, it's been it's been a little bit open recently. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about you guys.
2: Oh God, yeah, yeah. It's trust me, it'll be glorious to be on a farm
5: doing an event. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. You you guys talked about you know helping farmers get greater visibility. That that's really what this is all about. We you know the. Before the green markets, really, the farmers were truly invisible, and people mm-hmm. didn't know anything about local food. In fact, the term local food didn't exist, really. The, the whole idea of local kind of evolved, we think, from the farmers themselves making it possible to uh, uh, buy their products directly from them in the city. And and visibility is so important, whether it's audibility here or visibility. Um, this, is, this is what makes things happen, And and honestly... Uh, this is why we're so proud to see the national growth of markets uh, as it is. It, it's been truly a, a wonderful, one of the most wonderful things that we can think about in the last 20, 30 years that's happened in America. And so here in New York, we're just thrilled that you know we've had a role in that as well as markets everywhere in California and in South and all over this country. And so we're excited. We're, we're, we're really glad to be able to, to do something unique in lower Manhattan and not just only outdoors. And right now we're going to try to revive the outdoor market this year that was closed last year. But what we have is this unique indoor market that we want people to know is a viable model, uh, especially now to think about taking an empty space, a storefront in effect, and turning it into a uh, basically daily indoor market uh, run by a nonprofit with products from 100 farmers on consignment. Now that's a real community asset, and it really helps make those farmers visible. Uh, you add to that events, um, photographs, videos, it, re- it really helps people who are kind of locked down here um, take that leap uh, into knowing uh, who's out there and, and valuing them and, and understanding that um, they're making a difference when they buy locally, uh, that they're supporting those families, and the result will be uh, this healthy food that they're getting. Today, in New York City, right now at the market is Thursday. It's the pickup day for the Fulton Stall Market CSA, which has 80 yeah. families uh, in wow. lower Manhattan, pretty much locked down for the most <laughs> part, but looking at the market as their way of connecting with uh, with the farmers and, and mm-hmm. the healthy food. And they are not just one option there. There are 18 different share options because we have the indoor space with coolers and refrigerators and shelves we can offer people everything. Uh, you know not just veggies or fruit from Elizabeth Ryan but but fish from Long Island uh, Peconic Bay, uh, Catskill meats, uh, smoked uh, uh, trout from from the Hudson Valley in Sullivan County. Uh, this is what you can do with a space like this. Um,
4: yeah, like a permanent brick and mortar space. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Bob Bob and Steven kind of for people who aren't familiar with Fulton stall, kind of let's take a step back and, and just tell us, tell us how Fulton stall market started, how you guys met and, and sort of how Fulton stall is different from what people might think of when they think farmer's market. And it's a, it's a Saturday morning thing. This is different. Tell us about it.
2: So, well, the market started uh, back in 2009. Um, my wife, had, uh, she, she had had a background in food, and she had left her, her job at the time and had come to work with me at the seaport. Uh, I had been there a number of years doing events and things. My, my dad, when I, was, I, when I was a kid, had owned a restaurant on Ann Street, right, right in the neighborhood. So I kind of grew up going there on Sundays, and, and, uh, which is quite different than it is, it is now. Um, but, um, the, um, and, and so we, the powers that be sort of came to us and asked my wife if, uh, she would create the Fulton stall market at utilizing the old fish stalls right on South street, you know, from the Fulton fish market. And, uh, as a matter of fact, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Ryan, again, uh, she was one of the original, that's when we first met, uh, she was one of the original, uh, farmers at at the at the market, and that's when we met Bob. That's uh, at, at the time because he was working for the state and helped us navigate all that was necessary with the city and permitting and all these kinds of things on how to how to run a market. Uh, and uh, and so that's how that's how that started. Um, it was on uh, you know Saturdays and Sundays, mostly on Sundays. Uh, you know, it was an outdoor market again, utilizing the the stalls. It was really wonderful and. Uh, my, my daughter learned to walk there, you know, she was the, we, when my wife was doing the market, she would, she, there's pictures of her and her pack and play. And so she kind of, kind of grew up there on South street, learning how to, how to walk and how to learn, ride a bike on Peck Slip. And so we've been very, very connected to the community and very connected to the seaport, uh, in general, historically and personally. And, uh, so you fast forward a few years, Hurricane Sandy in 2012, wasn't very kind to the area, uh, to say the least. And then, in, in about a year later, uh, the, the, the then speaker Christine Quinn uh, had met the city, and made an agreement um, to with uh, with the seaport to develop a ten thousand square foot multi vendor fresh food market. Uh, and so that's and so Bob and I were we were all sort of reunited at City Hall that day, and one thing led to another um we had a a space prior to the one that we have now where we started to really develop what was going on and uh and then that led to to the space that we're in right now and uh and bob you can you can speak to what how i'd like you to kind of speak to to why we are uh, uh what makes us truly unique and authentic
5: yeah, you know, this is a really unique neighborhood in New York City, a historic district where the city's markets began. I mean, when we have kids come down in groups uh, to do a program called we, we call Meet the Farmer, uh, Meet the Farmer and the Chef and the Photographer, <laughs> it's an interesting combination, um, you know, we, we talk to them about New York City history. And uh, of course, New York is a great port uh, going back. Well, you can go way, way back, but, you know, the first uh, um, uh Colonies, colonies were in the 17th century. Uh, Henry Hudson and all that, the Dutch, uh, which was interesting the New Amsterdam uh, as, as a, a sort of a basis for New York City society, uh, the trading post and so on the markets were established in this very district um, and this the, the city was lined with ships and the ships needed to be unloaded and they were unloaded and stores were kept in these buildings and and this was the working port. Of which there's a small remnant at the seaport now, at the South Street Seaport Museum, A couple of ships there that harken back to those days. Well, this is a really important district, and it's been protected by New York City uh, historic districting. Uh, that is to say, it's an old uh, uh, cityscape, uh, you know, including a couple of buildings from uh, late late 1700s, um, and and then early 1800s. Anyway, uh, you know, a human scale neighborhood that's been protected. From development, um, and and so, you know, it's it's very important. I think we believe that people should know their past, their history, uh, understand, you know, where where they came from, and the stories that were uh, going on at that point. We we still have folks who know the old days uh, of the Fulton Fish Market before it moved to the Bronx, uh, and that's all story in itself, um, an amazing story, and it, it involves that. That that name that we mentioned earlier to you, Sloppy Louie's restaurant, uh, mm-hmm. and the New Yorker, and the famous articles about Sloppy Louie's as the place for, for working class fish eating. Anyway, we're in that very building. The Fulton Market is in that very place where uh, Louis Marino uh, ran his restaurant, uh, had the freshest fish. This was the working the working waterfront, and so part of the market's uh, goal is uh, to re- retain that. Flavor, uh, maybe that aroma, uh, to to remind people of the real the real thing, food, uh, and and uh, connect with the producers of of that food. So you know, we we're motivated by that, and and um, uh, we we want to see um, a revival of it. Uh, you know, perhaps a larger facility that was promised um, in in that. Uh, agreement that Christine Quinn is, was the speaker of the city council then. Um, she's not running for mayor at this point. It's an interesting situation here, but uh, she did run for mayor and tried to uh, uh, take it to another level. Uh, she herself is a working class person. Anyway, she believed in markets and what they do for the community. She was uh, really supportive of all of the city's markets and especially how they could be connected with families in need. Uh, using the wireless EBT systems we developed, I did had a role in that, I should say. Um, anyway, w- she inspired this thought that there should be a permanent revival of the public market space at the seaport. Um, other per- persons had pushed for that in the past. The New Amsterdam Market was here for a while that championed this, um, uh, and and so we're 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 holding on to that legacy. Uh, and and uh, the market itself, um, if it evolves, it would be, a, in a sense, what we call a public market. It would have a public purpose. It would not only be farmers, but also producers of food who would uh, combine in a multi-vendor um, space, uh, j- just as outdoor markets are, but indoors. And I think folks who, who are listening uh, are aware that around the United States and internationally, there are these uh, remarkable uh, places in Barcelona is, is a good one that come to mind, a whole city built on markets, but certainly in in Seattle, in New, in, in New Orleans, in, in, uh, um, in Cincinnati, in St. Louis, these are old public markets which are really part of that era uh, where where food and food vendors were given or provided a place that they could connect directly with the public. We're not talking here about uh, a food court. We're not talking about uh, food that's from anywhere without any real acknowledgement of, of who produced it. We're talking about a place where you can buy food, you can talk to the producer, just like an outdoor market, where you could learn, take courses uh, you could taste the food because value added would be there. The producer can make a sandwich out of uh, uh, out of that product, and and stepping up that gives the producer um, a uh, an extra source of income. Some people may know, uh, you know, the, the Reading Terminal Market in, in Philly. Uh, others may think of the, the the public markets in Boston or in Baltimore uh, or in Washington D.C. or actually in the South as well. I know you're in Asheville uh, ha- uh, uh a cat, I believe. And, uh, of course, Asheville has an interesting story there too, and it's a wonderful place for agriculture and food. So anyway, th- this is what we're, we're trying to see happen. And, uh, we want to see all these stories, uh, come back to life, the producer stories, uh, the customer stories, the, those who have memories, um, and, and who want to pass that along, uh, so that, that these, 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 um, uh, These stories can can uh, empower people to become producers or to cook better, to uh, think about their ingredients, to be more you know conscious of the environment. That's what a public market's about. It's about public purposes um, and helping the produce sustained business, encouraging new ones, and basically elevating our consciousness uh, about healthy food and good food. So,
4: Bob, one of the things that I think is really special. Um, Bob and Steven is really special about Uh, Fulton Stall Market is um, this little corner that you have there with information from Escape Maker that is sort of this connecting piece that shows people that come shopping in the South Street Seaport that they can go and see these farms themselves. They can travel up to the Hudson Valley. They can go see where their food's actually coming from. Why is that an important piece of the mission? And why is it important to have those resources in the Fulton Stall Market?
5: So very good point and it, it's one of the missions um, you know it, it farmers market can only do so much it can't take the place of uh, actual contact with uh, with with an apple hanging from an apple tree uh, <laughs> we all know the pleasure that uh, family or kids have in picking an apple uh, or, or actually digging a carrot out of the ground I did when I was eight years old at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden I think maybe that might have helped me uh, want to want to, uh, do more of that sort of thing. Maybe I became a geologist because of that, or just being in touch with the earth (laughs) and then later a planner. Uh, but I think that, that no child left inside idea, (laughs) I believe in strongly is is part of the reason why we, we want to see people visit the farms and not just shop. I think that's essential. And, and of course, if we're going to get people to explore the idea of, of, of a rural life, um, and, and producing something, that is essential. So, uh, yeah, we wanted to have a corner in, in, in the market for that. Um, call it whatever you want. In Italy, it's agriturismo. Uh, yeah. It's part of life in Italy. Uh, you know, you go to the, the cheese uh, farm, uh, the, the, the dairy in, in the summer. You, you go to the winery. Uh, this is essential. I mean, and, and they yeah. culturally. We, we are still new in this. Agritourism, that sounds like a strange kind of word. Uh, kind of a portmanteau or something. I, I don't know, but um, it, it's essential. We also, during this pandemic, have been able to put farms online, you know. So the Full Install Market website, uh, due to a little funding from USDA uh, through Kalen and, and, and us, uh, enabled us to create some sub web pages for each of the farms. So during this period, it uh, sounds like that commercial <laughs> about traveling in, in uh, Scandinavia— but uh, during this time, you know, it's possible to sort of virtually travel and, and click and discover a farm and, and see a video that the farmer made uh, 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 by, with, and maybe plan that trip that, that we're talking about now. Um, but, but I think people are beginning to do that now. And so, for example, the Women in Farming Festival is a good example, good place to, to, to go uh, and feel what it's like to be on that land. Uh, and to meet Elizabeth Ryan <laughs> and see what a Renaissance woman really is like, yeah. uh, in every respect. So anyway, there, there's very important question. Thanks for asking it. Yeah, it's important.
2: The connection is in, in, incredibly uh, important. You know, you talk about. Uh, I wasn't as fortunate as Bob to uh, um, uh, to 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 what did you pick carrots and things. I've told you this story before. I, I you know, I, I grew up in Brooklyn, and we never really traveled upstate. And, you know, we got apples from, you know, from the A&P. And, and uh, it took me, when I was 19 years old, uh, going all the way to England for a trip uh, and ending up uh, staying with a farmer in the north of England, uh, I, was, I was fascinated. I, I couldn't, it was mind-blowing to me, and it's mind-blowing to think about it now, uh, at 19 years old, I was. It, it blew my mind that I could pick a pick a piece of fruit from a tree and eat it, and it's something that I, I never ever 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 forgot. And uh, I have I have a a, a nine year old and an eleven year old, and I think the thing that I'm grateful, uh, for the most is that they're surrounded by. Um, Right, such great influence uh, people like bob my, my wife and her and her business partner own a, a, a shop in, in 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 brooklyn and and it's just it's constantly being educated about uh food and food systems and where your food comes from and healthy food and it's it's it just it sounds silly but you know i see other kids and i i i, I just feel really fortunate that uh um, <laughs> that i i I made that connection because I could I could have gone through the rest of my life never having picked an apple from a tree and it sounds ridiculous but it's it, it's very true and the other thing I wanted to say about Italy was uh, just to go back because I do think that a part of the market is uh, for 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 us is uh, all the things that Bob mentioned but it's also it's also a way to it's also about preservation of things that are uh, meaningful and soulful in life, especially in New York city, it's very, very important. And, uh, especially in the area to have a market, uh, whether it's 10,000 square feet or, or larger, uh, uh, you know, to have such a community space in a public market, the one that we, that, that is our mission, uh, as the nonprofit, that is, that is the mission is to, to have this, to have this space and to build this, uh, is will, will affect, you know, decades of, of, people, not just in, not just in Lower Manhattan, not just the seaport, but New York city in general. And, and we all know now more than ever, right. You know, we just see, uh, I mean, there's nothing wrong with development. I've been watching it all my life, but we definitely, there's definitely a part, uh, where we have to hold, you know, preserve those things that, that have true meaning in our lives. And, and, and obviously food is, uh, is a no brainer, you would think. And, um, you know, my daughter, uh, as I mentioned, she was, you know, she's raised, you know, at the seaport. My kids know it inside and out. I've, I've You know, my obsessions, it's what happens when you're a parent. But uh, I don't know if you know, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with who Jane Jacobs was, a very important person in the history of preservation in New York City, you know, fought Robert Moses. And, and you know, it's uh, obviously we, we would have we lost a, a, a few things like Chinatown or Soho, uh, there's more to that story, but uh, the Municipal Arts Society uh, every year runs these uh, Jane's Walk tours. So my daughter is going to do a virtual walking tour of the seaport um, on July 8th as part of the the Jane's Walk. Um, and, you know, it all starts with the... We'll start at the Fulton Stone Market. It all starts with the markets and the history of markets in the area. And it goes from there. Of course, Sloppy Louie's will feature... Uh, it's a fascinating, incredible story. He, uh, this Louis Marino came from Italy in 1905, and uh, a couple of decades later, uh, he came from a, a fishing village in, in, in Italy. And um, so he fell naturally fell in love with the seaport and he opened up Sloppy Louis. He didn't want to call it Sloppy Louis. Uh, the guy before him they, was called Sloppy, the restaurant was called Sloppy John's. He didn't want to call it that. And when the fishmongers found out that he didn't like it, of course, they Called it, you know. The, then they called the sloppy Louis, and he finally, uh, he finally gave in and just paid to the sign. But um, it was a it was a place where the, the the fishmongers would they would give Louis all their catch of the day, uh, whatever it was, and it was really for their own benefit because he would he would make them whatever they wanted and try out new recipes and all this kind of stuff. So it was it was it was kind of a selfish thing on their part, but uh, you know, it grew to this beloved restaurant. And uh, at one time, I think it had the, the, the largest seafood menu uh, in, in New York, uh, maybe beyond. But, uh, but the other cool part of the story was he befriended Joseph Mitchell, who was a very famous writer for The New Yorker. And uh, they, uh, Joseph Mitchell wrote uh, Up in the Old Hotel, which is a book of short stories. And the, short, the one short story about up, uh, called Up in the Old Hotel is about how he and Louie became friends and he would go to sloppy Louie's every day for breakfast. This is right there on, right on South street, right. You know, right where the, the Fulton Stall market is. And, uh, one day they, uh, uh, um, Joseph Mitchell talks him into going upstairs, uh, because Louis had never been up there. Uh, it's an incredible story. I won't go into all the details, but the fascinating thing is is that when we talk about, preservation and history and why these things are important, how it connects to food and stuff that, uh, what the, you know, the, the old hotel, the old Fulton Ferry hotel was upstairs. This was built before the Brooklyn bridge. So you get a, an idea of the timeline and it's still, there are pieces that are still there, uh, as part of the, the South street Seaport museum right above us. There's a, an elevator shaft, uh, that Louie and, and, uh, Joseph Mitchell wrote up in, uh in the early 50s um it was a a manual you know you pulled yourself up with a rope which was kind of part of the story because louis was afraid to go up there and joseph mitchell talked him into it but it's uh but the history of of the seaport is uh and food is is really fascinating really important to preserve these things and um we we sort of promised you that we would we would tell the story of sloppy louis and and it closed it was around for many many years uh, his nephew I, i mean it closed in Believe it or not it opened in 1930 I think and closed yep. in 1998 yep. which is just just mind blowing to think about um and well uh, I think it's
4: a I think it's an interesting story because it kind of illustrates how all of these food kind of um what we consider to be like different industries like restaurants farms fishermen like all these industries are actually really really interconnected and they can't right. survive without one another and I kind of want to leave on that note um, to go to break because when we come back, I think that's I want to talk about that and in particular how how the pandemic in the past year has really illuminated that fact. So um let's put a pin in that and when we come back we'll talk a little bit more about sort of what the last year has been like for Fulton Stall Market and the community of farmers that you work with. So stay tuned, we'll be right back.
1: This episode is brought to you by Escape Maker hosting the Women in Food and Farming Festival. This Mother's Day weekend, May 8th and 9th, EscapeMaker.com will present the first annual Women in Food and Farming Festival at Stone Ridge Orchard in New York's Hudson Valley. That's just two hours outside of New York City in Ulster County. The two-day hybrid live and virtual event, open to the public, will honor and celebrate women-owned businesses in the food, farm, and craft beverage spaces and provide entrepreneur resources. A live farmer's market on May 8th will host dozens of women farmers and craft beverage and food producers, with products ranging from cakes and cookies, to fresh veggies and honey, to hot sauces and teas, all locally sourced and produced. For those not able to attend in person, there will be a virtual experience on May 9th. It will include 25 online tours, demos, and educational presentations on various topics, on demand, for the public and trade. Learn more at womennourish.com.
4: Welcome back to HRN Happy Hour. Um, I'm here with my co-host, Hannah, and we are joined by two guests today from um, the great borough of Manhattan. We have Bob Lewis and Stephen Dima, who have worked together um, for many years um, on the Fulton Stall Market, which is in South Street Seaport. Um, and we were just chatting a bit about um, the, the, le- the legend of Sloppy Louie's, as I'm now going to call it, and just the significance of that restaurant to the neighborhood and And it it really, Stephen, as you're talking about, made me think about the ways that all of these, um, you know, different sort of food industries are so connected and reliant on one another. And, Bob, you and I had talked with Kaylin Sanders from Escape Maker just about a year ago as the pandemic was really starting. And we were having a conversation around trying to support farmers as we were going into, you know, the really busy growing season. And the fear was that the pandemic would make people um, a little bit hesitant to go to farmers markets. There was a lot of of unknowns at that time. And then, of course, restaurants were shutting down. And, you know, I, I think that on one hand, we saw um, CSAs pick up and people really did seek out their local farms in a, in a really kind of surprising and great way. But then we also had a lot of hardships in the industry. And when restaurants closed that had a domino effect on purveyors and farmers. So that all, that all to say, like, how, how has the past year been for Fulton stall market and for all of the different, um, producers and farmers that you work with?
5: Well, um, You know, this this has been an enormous uh, shock to all of, all of us. And uh, if you're in lower Manhattan, where 9-11 happened, uh, there was a shock of, 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 you can't say equal significance, but of a different order uh, back then in, in 01 that led to enormous transformation of, of lower Manhattan. There's an irony in all this. Lower Manhattan, in effect, evacuated the financial district um we even had the Fulton fish market evacuating. Um, uh, you know, after that, in 2005, moved to the Bronx uh, for reasons that were long in progress, uh, having to do with trucking access and so on, and uh, improved sanitation for the fish and so on, because remember, this is an ancient market, 130 years old, operating on the street. But Lower Manhattan went through such a shock. Um, what happened is the revival of residential in Lower Manhattan uh, through incentives. So what you have is, a, in effect, the return to the residential neighborhood uh, that it was when it when it was founded as as the beginnings of New York City in the Dutch village of all things. And the irony, of course, with the pandemic is people stayed at home uh um if if they couldn't leave so you have both an exodus from lower manhattan of people who moved totally out of the city you you have people who hunkered down in in high-rise buildings and ordered in and you have an influx of people who find that lower manhattan's actually almost like a village and and it was with the curving streets a village back in the dutch era compared to the rest of manhattan with its big long grid, uh, which was imposed on the city in, 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 uh, 1811. Um, so, you know, we've, we've had an interesting experience. Uh, the CSA that we started, um, back in, uh, 17, 2017 has actually grown because people do want to lock in their local food if they can, and it's convenient. Um, the, the folks who w- ordered, uh, uh for, for on their way home to, to, uh, to, to Brooklyn or elsewhere, New Jersey, from their offices well, those folks disappeared because they were no longer commuting to, to Manhattan, but they were replaced by more locals who uh, wanted to, to do this. Um, the place, you know, like New York City as a whole, you know, initially felt like a ghost town back then, certainly a year ago. Uh, and we maintained the, the store uh, you know running six days a week b- believe it or not um, and we instituted all the protocols which which were you know still in place now naturally the masking and so in new york being a mask friendly place um, everybody cooperating um so we we managed to, to get through this the what we've done for the farmers who are part of the market, the CSA farmers, it's been very helpful to them. Elizabeth Ryan has said that repeatedly uh, to maintain and even grow the market through the CSA. If they're the fruit share farmer or the veggie share farmer, it's been very helpful to them. Um, We did close our outdoor market because, frankly, the tourists in Lower Manhattan totally disappeared. Most New York tourists disappeared. It's beginning to rebound uh day trippers who took the ferries to visit lower manhattan they pretty much disappeared so really we couldn't really run an outdoor market like we'd run on the weekend um to serve those folks and, and let's face it it was an unusual kind of outdoor market not the conventional uh farmers market because it was uh le- less produce and more specialty items more startups a lot of women entrepreneurs whose products are in the store now um but we couldn't run that. So we did We did stop that. We did maintain the storefront, the, the indoor market with products on the shelves and coolers. Uh, the CSA ramped up. Um, we really had to stop the workshops that we were doing with schools and families, cooking classes and so on, obviously. Uh, those are all in person. Um, it was wonderful to, to do that, teaching uh, kids to cook with their parents and vice versa, <laughs> and uh, and the visiting of classes to meet farmers and, and uh, look at the murals around the seaport. We have a, a wonderful series of murals of full-scale um, uh, black and white photographs of organic farmers of the Hudson Valley from the, from the book uh, Organic Farmers and Chefs of the Hudson Valley by Francesco Mastalia. I really suggest folks look that up. It's out of print, but we still have copies. It's a marvelous book uh, 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 coffee table book, you want to call it, but it has essays for each of those hundred farmers about why they're organic, as well as the chefs. And so that photographer, um, we couldn't do those workshops with the kids. But, you know, working with Kalen, that's why we wrote this this little grant uh, to get some funds so that we could do some of this stuff online, which is actually why we're online today, uh, talking with you and uh, being able to kind of, contain this, uh, maintain it, I should say, uh, and keep up these connections is what we wanted to do. We also just did our work to, uh, try to promote the safety of outdoor markets, outdoor markets. In fact, we're always the safest place to shop from the beginning from, from last March. And, um, the trouble right now is just that with the commercial district declines because of business, uh, you know, lack of, uh, office workers in many parts of Manhattan, the markets that were in those business districts, including at the World Trade Center, which I was the founder of um, in, in uh, 1984, working with the state government and the Port Authority, that market just can't operate if there aren't office workers around. So it's the residential markets that are that are successful now, including our the Fulton Stull market. market. Um, and all I can say is, if you have an indoor location and it's winter, it certainly helps. Hence the idea of a storefront market, a nonprofit, a public market with more space. I mean, that's a big deal to to be able to create a revival of that around the country, whether it's small or large, would be a really amazing step that we could take on behalf of farmers everywhere. And uh, I love to uh, try out new things and 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 explore to see whether they can be replicated. And I believe this can be. It, it takes a uh, a community that cares, a, a storefront that's available, free or inexpensive, a nonprofit, uh, community group or other who sympathizes with the idea. Uh, but it takes more than just a once a week operation. This is a full time job. And I never, ever thought in my life as a geologist, a planner, that I'd be running with Steve and my, my colleagues on the, the nonprofit board a, a real store. I mean, and, 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 uh, and then adding all these components. Never thought I'd be doing that. So now I know what it's like.
4: <laughs> well, we we know a thing or two about nonprofits and it's not, you know, not the same type of nonprofit, but I, I do know that there's always something more to be done. Like the work <laughs> is absolutely never done.
3: Yeah. And everyone finds their way there circuitously, I think is, a, is <laughs> yes. sort of a beautiful thing about the food industry is um, it'll draw you in no matter what you think you're going to do with your life. <laughs>
5: And, and, and it has, and we have hired uh, you know, we have a wonderful staff of about uh, seven uh, folks, women, and who are in the food business. Uh, they're either uh, you know, they were budding chefs or already chefs or entrepreneurs. And you know they're they' we're we're supporting them. and and then their their motivation is carries on in the way they they, they speak with CSA members right now, I could say, at this very moment today. Uh, there's folks coming in and talking with them about you know um, uh, they' they're finding their product for them you know whether it's the fish share or the or the or the or the, the smoke share from the Catskills or, or the cheese share and they're talking about it and they're they're motivated this isn't just like a store and where the unfortunately the the staff may not be motivated it it, it it's almost like the market, the farmer's market, where the farmer, of course, is motivated because it's it's her product or his product. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's why we, we love this and we want to, you know, see it grow.
2: And we can't forget our lovely chef, Bob, who uh, lives on the waver tree, who comes over every morning and bakes and cooks all kinds of uh, delicious things, Paul Doerr. Um,
5: Yeah. And and I would say he is lovely. I mean, you know, this is a mariner from Maine who ran a series of small restaurants on the coast of Maine and, and, you know, with his tattooed um, arms and uh, um, his bow tie. Uh, He's dapper when he wants to be and sort of grizzled when he wants to be and uh, uh, kind of uh, sometimes very, very poetic and sometimes very taciturn. Turning out, getting up in the middle of the night, coming uh, is the shortest commute. He 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 comes down the gangway of the mm-hmm. Wavertree. Tree. He's a he's a full time employee of the Seaport Museum, but in this part time life of waking up in the night and baking over at the Fulton Stall Market, he he has added a very special aspect, uh, you know, to what we're doing. And and he's not an employee. You know, this is like a farmer with the products being on consignment. So we we've sort of accrued. Uh, a wonderful array of folks who are sharing their talents yeah. and enthusiasm, and he's really one of is. two chefs. We we have a second chef, a woman.
4: Yeah, that was one of my favorite parts of when we visited the market. Was his food was really really great. <laughs> um, I really
5: enjoyed it. Real comfort food.
4: Yes, definitely. Well, my last question for the two of you before we run out of time today. I mean, this has just really flown by. Is you know what what do you envision is like? You know, as we come through this recovery time period from the pandemic, but looking forward, you know, five, 10 years, what's your hope and vision for both the Fulton stall market and then what, you know, other other cities or neighborhoods could do to kind of build their own similar, you know, brick and mortar public market?
5: Well, look, we, we're seeing, you know, new federal uh, initiatives on infrastructure, at least the words. Uh, we're seeing um, an important uh, awareness of, of food access, hunger, anti-hunger, anti-poverty strategies. Um, you know, I've spent my years with the state ag department, you know, trying to, uh, you know l- you know, in a sense, create equity. Um, uh, and encourage folks who, who one way or another have not had an access to anything, whether it's a school garden to get kids engaged really early on, or it's the you know use of the of the food stamp program, the SNAP program, uh, at markets and ex- extra incentives uh, like in the New York City Health Bucks program, where you get um, a, a twenty a a forty percent bonus if you if you use EBT. Uh, those are things that we, you know, on, on the on the level of legislation that's important, food policy issues, and that's just sort of urban-rural connections. Well, infrastructure is a big deal. Nutrition and nutrition programs is also a big deal. They go together. I think, you know, I would like to see, and, and I'm familiar with efforts around the country, uh, a lot of efforts have to happen locally. Um, uh, you couldn't have things happen unless... A village or, or a town or a county or a city uh, understands the value of public markets or farmer's markets or both, uh, they have to say, okay, there has to be legislation that makes that legal. We, we did that in New York a long time ago. It's not private use of public space. It's public use when you have a farmer's market. Uh, those things have to be in place. Uh, there have to be you know, state interest in in this urban-rural link. Uh, that, that has to include incubation facilities for entrepreneurs in cities, uh, women and minorities in particular, quote-unquote minorities. Um, this is very important. We're doing this at the Fulton Star Market, where those products can be showcased at the market. So there's this umbrella of, of, of sort of policy that needs to occur. I mean, that's why we, we really connect with Farm Aid. We're really involved and volunteer at Farm Aid every year. Uh, and they're not the only organization we care about nationally there's a lot of organizations working on this sort of thing we care about the watershed and what happens in in the in the Catskill region because the city gets its water from there and food and water are in a sense the same they're the same essential uh, uh, as essential as each other food shed is 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 no different from a watershed in that it's an essential item that cities have to think about so all of these these policy issues need to be in place and we need people to Initiate these kinds of things locally and then in their state government. And then, of course, if there's federal legislation that enables things to occur, like the WIC Farmers Market Program or um, the Senior Farmers Market Program, these support markets wherever those markets are, so long as the state takes an interest in that program, that has to be advocated. So, on that level, you know, we care. I think, you know, some of this infrastructure is critical. We, we, we would love to see. Um, a, a, re, a refocusing uh, of cities on uh, what I would say are public markets, the public interest in public markets, uh, so that whether it's an outdoor market where public space is revived, just the way the restaurants are reviving in New York City through the use of the of the streets, it's very important, whether it's bike, bike paths connecting to markets or schools and markets uh, you know there's no there's no uh, way we we can have this interaction with urban and rural unless unless cities say that's an essential part of their future the the idea of sustainable city you know it doesn't exist unless you have a a regional awareness and and a, an actual practical ways that the, that the farmers can feel they can make it in in the city that's what happened at green market and and, and back in, in, in Berkeley back in the day, uh, when when the farmers were invited in and, and 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 they appreciated that. So that's the thing. As far as the full install market, yeah. If we if we ultimately uh, could um, <laughs> could find that that uh, ten thousand square feet that was promised um, by uh, the city council back in the day that was included in uh, the the uh, land use uh, obligation for the revival of the seaport. Uh, that would be wonderful. Uh, if it, it doesn't have to be a public uh, a domain. It could be a private sector initiative. If you look around the country, there can be public-private partnerships. If you look at the ferry terminal in San Francisco, you see that there is that experience. There's the farmers and then there is the public market. Uh, you can coexist. The restaurants can be there um, and, and the farmers can as well. So I, I'd say, you know, it, it takes a sort of corporate social responsibility awareness thing here if if the business community and the financial community understands these values if they they want to be green so to speak there is a deep way of being green here um, that, um, that 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 can send a signal uh, to to rural America that that cities are their friends that we can have this partnership and and that we don't have to have uh any antagonism or adversarial uh you know um, stereotyping going on there there shouldn't be we, we we know that the handshakes are there uh the the, the goodwill is there the farmers um you know we, we don't we don't talk politics here we, we talk about healthy food and community and uh and, and yes, we want to see progressive things, for sure, that support families, support healthy environment and all of that. And I think everybody can agree that that's a universal need. So what do we want? We, we, we would like to see the real estate community recognize the importance of public markets. This is New York, the real estate capital. If, if that happens uh, and everyone sees the value in that, everyone can you know really see a, a good future. The restaurants will come back. Uh, they'll be sourcing again from the farmers. This is a this was a crisis and still is for sure. So we need those restaurants to revive. And I think as people move back into cities, perhaps the way they did, move back into downtown. Um, you know, we we will see. You know, the outdoor markets thriving again. We'll see the restaurants thriving, and we'll see a, a you know a unit sort of a, a, a mutual support system uh, growing. No reason this can't happen.
4: Absolutely. Um, Stephen, did you have anything to add there about kind of your hopes and vision for the future?
2: Oh, I, I just I just hope to be uh, Bob Lewis when I grow up. He's <laughs> Don't we all? He's, uh, it's, 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 I, I say that uh,
5: uh, honestly. Hey, you know. I hope to be <laughs> Willie Nelson when I grow up. You <laughs> yeah.
4: Ooh, even better! Yes, these are
2: They're all great uh,
5: goals.
4: <laughs> yes, Willie or Dolly—that's the goal.
2: Anyway, everything everything Bob said and more. I really feel that. Uh, you know, this is, it's, um, all the folks that have come together, uh, so far with this, uh, have been such an amazing experience, a very special thing. And, 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 you know, it's just New York, I feel is very, very fortunate to have people that, that are watching its back, I think, in my view, you know, uh, and, and not in a cocky way or anything like that, but just, it's just, just imagine, you know, if the, if the everything Bob said, you know, came true, um, I just, it's, and and yeah, we're not adversarial to anyone, real estate or uh, developers or whoever it is, but it is, I just, I I do wish that they would realize how great it would be for them and for everyone else. And then instead of the rush to keep building, uh, you know, uh, whatever it is, uh, I don't need to comment on it, but I just feel like something real and authentic that celebrates a history and celebrates uh you know preserving uh the real heart and soul of a city it's just so important and uh yeah, yeah. And lastly i would just say that yeah i think if if all that came true it would be such an amazing thing uh for our city and its people
4: yeah and like like i think to your point like a wonderful blueprint if, if new york can do it it's a great blueprint for other cities i think you know, when when food halls became the big thing, it's like everyone, every city then wanted to have a food hall. So, like, why can't it be a public market?
5: Mm-hmm. And, and we're at the seaport so ships can pull up, too. You know, we, right. we, we even have the, the Apollonia is supposed to be sailing down from Hudson, New York this summer uh, to deliver some local brew and some um, uh, not only brew, but ingredients, uh, malt, hops yeah. coming down the Hudson River like in the old days. They don't expect this to be the daily routine, but they want to highlight mm-hmm. that. And here we're at the seaport, we can unload it just like in the old days.
4: Yeah. What's old, what's old is new again. There's a great episode of Beer Sessions Radio that um, features the Apollonia and and the work that they're doing. Oh. So I will try to find the episode number and put that in our show notes. That's a great Great connection there.
5: And we um, love well, Jimmy Bob Carl and, We love Jimmy Carlton.
4: Yeah. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Uh, Bob and Steven, thank you so much for joining Hannah and me on Happy Hour today. It's been a real treat to catch up with you and hear about what's new and the future of the Fulton Stall market.
5: Our pleasure.
3: Thank you so much. Yeah, I can't wait to visit soon. That would be great. Thank you very much.
4: And thanks to everyone for listening to HR and Happy Hour. Make sure you subscribe to never miss one of our episodes. And we'll be back soon with more conversations about the future of food here on HR and Happy Hour. Thanks. HR and Happy Hour is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you.